This podcast is brought to you by VinZero. VinZero pioneers solutions and services to the AEC and manufacturing industries to support net zero targets. Visit VinZero.com to learn more about how organisations design, build and solve through digitalisation. From VinZero to you, welcome to our Think Future podcast series. Each week we'll share conversations with industry leaders from around the world to find out how they're thinking future. Subscribe to VinZero Think Future for access to more episodes, interviews and profiles. Dr. Florian Graken is an honorary professor at the University of Watago in the School of Engineering and is general manager for Sion Research Bioproducts and Biomanufacturing Areas, including the portfolios covering high-value biorefineries, distributed and circular manufacturing, bioproducts and packaging and integrated bioenergy. Florian joins us today to discuss how these activities are directed at solving new product and process challenges and opportunities that arise through transition to a circular bioeconomy. Welcome to the program, Florian. Thanks very much for having me. Excited to be with you. So Scion is a Crown Research Institute specialising in the research and science and technology development for forestry and wood products and wood-derived materials and other biomaterials. Can you give us some further context around that? Yes. So um, in the broader sense, it is about transitioning New Zealand to a circular bioeconomy and we just celebrated our 75th anniversary. Coming out of the forest research, and as you can imagine now, it's it's wider than that. As an organization, we've got three big impact areas. So the first one, probably what Cyan is, is most traditionally known for, is around timber, timber products, growing sustainable forest, how to use that. So a big focus, obviously, is the construction industry, but going back how to even grow sustainable forests. The other area is around forest for the standing benefit. And yes, we can use forests for you know all sorts of products, for bioenergy, you name it, but there are beyond financial benefits. There is you know, the air quality, water quality, as a tourism destination, soil erosion, trees in urban environments. So there is much, much more to a tree and to forest than just the material use of a tree. In the area that I'm looking at, this advanced materials from trees and other biomaterials. If you think about that over 5,000 different products can be made from a tree and probably every product that is made from petroleum today could be made from a tree tomorrow. And that's my big area where I'm looking at bioplastics, bioenergy, um, high-value products from trees, but also different manufacturing technologies. Great. So you just mentioned the word there, bioeconomy. Can you talk to us about what that actually means and how that approach actually differs from, say, a circular economy? Happy to do that. So you have these two concepts, uh, bioeconomy, circular economy. In circular economy, probably most people will know it out of communications from the Ellen MacArthur Foundation. So this is the principle to phase out ways to keep material in use as long as practical mitigation and reductions and so on. The bioeconomy, the focus on the uh, renewable types of materials. Uh, New Zealand has this already. New Zealand is a bioeconomy based around the primary industry, um, looks at these environmental boundaries, but also other material flow. 
And where we come from, from a sound perspective, we wouldn't look at these two things in isolation. You have pretty much one economy. So where technical material flow, bio-based material flow all would come together. And therefore, for us, it was probably more important to speak of a circular bioeconomy where you don't segregate or separate these two, where you put society, the environment at the center of that whole thinking, where you are operate within your planetary boundaries that you have outside. You consider a, a just transition to ensure equal opportunities for people in this new environment. And once you bring all of that together, you have then a, an economic system that is beyond sustainability that actually focus on regenerative nature of an, of an economy. So, Florian, you just mentioned there that New Zealand has already achieved a bioeconomy type of status. What do you actually mean by that? So I think it is important to ask the questions because um, it might not be clear to everyone that New Zealand is already technically a bioeconomy, given that the majority of New Zealand's export or, or GDP comes from the primary industry. But what we mean by that is an advanced bioeconomy or an advanced circular bioeconomy where we use our natural resources to manufacture higher value products in the country and export these higher value products, not only exporting commodities, be it uh, timber or, or other primary produce. Okay, and so the advantage of a bio-circular economy you mentioned is that it's moving beyond that circularity phase to a more regenerative phase. Can you tell me what that means in a practical sense? Well, I think that's a very important point because at the moment we hear a lot about the term sustainability and as the this is what we should aspire to be, we should aspire to be sustainable economies, but that's the bare minimum. So sustainability, it's reducing the harm of humans' activities on the planet to minimizing that, basically. But what is necessary, if you look at the harm that has been done in the past decades, in the past centuries, that's definitely not sufficient. Like a status quo or steady state is not sufficient. So this is where regenerative comes in. And so this goes beyond sustainability. And it's about the restoration and the enhancement of natural systems. And to do that, to do this again from the three lenses of economic sustainability, like economic, environmental and social, we need to do that with really, really innovative practices. So it is not just a technical innovations. There are by far more dimensions on the environment, on the society, but also then yeah, technical innovations are absolutely necessary. So is one of those innovations that you're speaking to there the role of distributed manufacturing? So distributed manufacturing is one of the possibilities, but also opportunities that come in when you start considering that the renewable feedstock or the renewable materials for the future will not come out of the ground. So we will not dig it into the earth anymore to get out of coal or gas or, or crude oil but that we will have to use different materials. So this can be bio-based materials, it can be using our CO2 that we have, or it can be using some of the recycled materials. And what all of these sustainable or renewable materials have in common compared to crude oil, they are distributed, they are seasonal, they are regional. And so therefore, 
like in the past where we've developed these big centralized processing systems, economy of scale, we also should rethink is it economy of scale or right scale of the economy or the right scale of processing? And we wouldn't plan or we wouldn't see every process is um, from now on decentralized. But there's the opportunity to instead of always bringing the feedstock, the starting material to centralized factories, you could actually bring these factories to some of the feedstock. So, for example, with harvesting residues. They are not dense enough. They are too distributed. Quite often they are left in the field. They are put into landfill. They are burned. Instead of that, you could envisage a small processing unit being brought into the proximity there. And then these types of residues could be processed into technical products, into intermediates, whatever it, it might be. We've seen it in New Zealand now around forest slash, for example, something that is has been left behind in, in the forest because it's not economic to transport. And then when events like with Cyclone Gabriel that we were facing are happening, um, suddenly you have these consequences. Whereas if you could bring, again, processing units on site, you could avoid that, turn that into products and you know do both use all available feedstock, but also avoid waste being left behind. Can you see a role for these microprocessing type units to be adapted, for example, to the built environment, to construction sites where people can break down wood components or different waste on site into other raw materials or other ways of transporting them off site? Yeah, I think it could be used for that. It could be a part of a whole construction process if you have especially bigger construction sites where that might make sense. It really enables to bring different processes on site where normally you wouldn't have done it or you wouldn't have considered that. Simply wouldn't be economic or feasible to build whole factories. I think probably even bigger advantages around construction is another area that we're looking at at Sion that is building with wood or using wood in construction. I think that's a massive opportunity especially given that the footprint of some of the most commonly used construction materials, you know, concrete, steel, uh, is very challenging. And that's where wood can definitely provide a very, very sustainable alternative. And so Scion are doing quite an amount of extensive research, I've noticed, into extending the life of timber for uh, the built environment type application. What can you tell us about that? I think that's also a very, very interesting field, you can come at it from probably different angles. So one is what type of tree would you pick or what type of wood would you use? So they are naturally very durable types of species, which is a great way to diversify. So instead of using always the same species that we all know, what other types of trees and types of wood is out there? The other one is a way of modifying wood and modifying timber to ensure that different properties that are not naturally available in wood are embedded into wood. And so that's then an expansion of the natural advantages of trees and of wood in the built environment. So how does the bioeconomy help manufacturing systems be more resilient to supply chain disruptions, for example? Yeah, I think, again, we've seen, especially during COVID, but also in the post-COVID supply chain disrupted world, 
that economies that already have strong bioeconomies or, or emerging circular economies have recovered better. So Finland and some other European countries have done that. And so there is this advantage of proximity of feedstock, but also different types of manufacturing systems that are already there. Another approach or another part that works in here really well is what we are focused also on is eco-design and symbiosis thinking of regions, where we look at the opportunities to do this type of new manufacturing or this new type of industry for regional and rural settings. And the overall principle is symbiosis clusters or symbiosis thinking is that the feedstock or the waste or the byproduct of one industry could become the feedstock for another. That's pretty much how nature is based and how nature is designed. So nature doesn't know the concept of waste. That's a human concept. And I think there's a big opportunity to build not just standalone businesses, but to really think about what else could I put around these. And again, then if I have that in different parts of the country, instead of one big centralized point, then much, much better from different angles. If you even think about New Zealand from an earthquake type perspective, if I had everything concentrated in one area and events like an earthquake, uh, events like a cyclone would hit, then this one spot would be extremely impacted. Whereas if I have multiple places, uh, multiple industries, multiple supply chains, I'm much more resilient. Again, that needs to be weighed off because we still are in an economy where economy of scale and volume and mass production matters. But again, for a country like New Zealand, where we should actually look at a higher value, more individualized type of manufacturing, it is definitely one angle we need to take and really ensure that we diversify there as much as we can. So how can Australia and New Zealand prepare to be self-sustainable, for example, across manufacturing chains, given their close proximity? I think there's a, it's definitely a big, big opportunity, not just Australia and New Zealand. It's really bringing in the Pacific Islands as well. So that part, I think being completely self-sufficient, we won't get there. And I think this is the same even in the circular economy or bioeconomy. We still have trade. We need trading rules. What we're discussing here is the size of these circles and different levels of technology readiness dictate that probably. So for example, think about plastic recycling. Not every plastic recycling technology right now might be feasible because of scale in New Zealand. But if we take Pacific Islands, Australia, and New Zealand together, we probably could have specific advanced plastic recycling technologies in one location, but that is a, is a region in the world could achieve that. The other possibility would be around specific technology exchange. Again, New Zealand with the smaller population really would rely on bringing in much more advanced technology, much faster than we actually can develop it here in New Zealand. So therefore you have it not only on the manufacturing side, but also on the innovation side how to do that from a completely, as I said before, from a completely self-sustainable just in the region. I don't think so, but it can become much more resilient compared to what it would be at this stage. 
Are you looking for a digitalisation and net zero partner to help you achieve your goals? Join the thousands of AEC and manufacturing customers globally who have turned to VinZero to start their journey toward a net zero future. With 32 offices around the world, VinZero can connect you to the right technologies and workflow processes, so you can maintain your competitive position and increase profitability. VinZero has an industry expert to help you navigate the best pathway forward, wherever you are on your digitalization and net zero journey. Visit VinZero.com to find out more. New Zealand have a goal to have all plastics reusable, recyclable or compostable by 2025. What are the challenges there? Well, what we're looking here is like the whole Australia-New Zealand uh, Pacific Island region, it is about having it all reusable, recyclable or compostable. I think we will always need plastics and we probably will need even more plastics, but it has to be designed appropriately. And the big challenge for New Zealand is yeah, New Zealand in itself does not manufacture any plastic. So everything gets imported into New Zealand. And we are a very small market. So we are pretty much at the mercy of what other countries, what other big brands are designing or the type of plastics they're designing. And again, this is where the, as a region, there is a bigger influence compared to just one country. So... The, the big challenges we have is, again, from a what type of plastic processing infrastructure do we have? So do we have enough recycling infrastructure? Do we have enough composting infrastructure? But also the design of the products that we can not necessarily influence, again, given the size of the market. But what we've seen, and there are different things underway at the moment, from the education side, that it's a very important part educating the public, educating companies what sustainable plastics actually means. Then we are seeing the phase out of certain single-use plastics and replacing it with more sustainable alternatives. But also an opportunity that this shift to a bioeconomy brings and that New Zealand probably actually can start producing its own, to a certain extent, its own plastics, bioplastics from some of this renewable feedstock and ensure that plastic is designed much better than the conventional plastic. Zion Research released a paper on zero plastics waste. What were the key findings, recommendations in that regard? Um, so this was uh, done in partnerships with uh, several organisations in New Zealand. And as you can imagine, the, the key finding, or the first and foremost was, yes, it's doable, but it's difficult. It's not going to be easy. It is necessary, but we won't get there in a very straightforward way. So what it definitely will require will be aligned effort between government, between industry, brands, consumers, and science and, and innovation. It will take a big amount of education. And we've started that. We've started with education packs for schools, for example. There's nothing more powerful than kids plastic shaming their parents and telling them what needs to be recycled where and what you shouldn't buy. There is a big, big point on redesigning products. Um, in the past, the question was never asked what happens with this packaging or what happens with this product at the end of its life. It was simply ignored. Whereas now we can see with design students, with brands, with, with companies actually asking the question, do I use the right material? 
have I designed the packaging in a way that it can be reused or recycled or is compostable? And the other part is this important alignment with other strategies. Um, all these, these bioeconomy and circular economy strategies can't stand in isolation. That is always a system type of approach. If you deal with them that only through a, a single lens, then you ignore all the other interconnectivities and interdependencies. So that's the other big finding. We notice that it has to link into other targets as well. What about things like uh, microplastics? Where do they fit in and how are they being dealt with in this same type of conversation? That's a very important question. It's, it's the questions that are raised more and more now and that are coming to the surface. Uh, microplastics, you can hardly see it, but they are extremely concerning and extremely powerful. And that comes into the part of how do I design, but also the type of end of life. We have looked into that, first of all, from a baseline perspective to understand what is it, where is it actually, and then how is it getting produced. And so this is where then that strategy to avoid waste or plastic waste is so important because everything that ultimately gets left in the environment over a certain period of time will fragment or break down further until it ends up as microplastics. So this comes from the design of the product. Again, the less I can get leaked into the environment, the more I do against microplastics, but also then in product design that people wouldn't even associate with microplastics. When we did our study around microplastics for the Auckland Harbour environment, we noticed that a big majority of that is actually little fibers and that comes from washing machines. So people might not even consider what putting their daily clothes into the washing machine, that that is linked to microplastics simply through the process of washing that enters the wash water and then ultimately enters the harbor. So then comes back to design what type of systems and washing machines can I design to avoid that. And doing that would do uh, enormous against uh, microplastics. The next part that that now is, is getting explored besides what could microplastics do harm to the environment, harm to human, harm to um, animal life, is these uh, forever chemicals that are now all around in the media. And what are they doing to human life? And that's another important part of, obviously, if you think about avoiding plastic waste, by doing that, you also will, will avoid some of these uh, forever chemicals being leached into the environment. So, Florian, what about for the construction sector as they move towards a circular approach for other building materials? What sort of things are we seeing there? Yeah, there's also a broad opportunity. We've done work in this area. And what we focused on there is the space of adhesives. And adhesives in the construction industry play an important role. And in many adhesives, you will find chemicals like formaldehyde. And formaldehyde is a very carcinogenic material. So what we have done is two things. We are designing adhesives that will work without formaldehyde. But instead of using fossil-based material, we're using bio-based materials. It is formaldehyde-free and bio-based. And that's positive on two numbers. One, from a built environment, from a housing, healthier homes, 
healthy living, so you're not breathing in formaldehyde, but also for anyone in the manufacturing supply chain, uh, manufacturing these types of resins with formaldehyde is a health risk. So that's a big part. The other one, and yes, while we love wooden buildings and using wood as construction material, there is much more that you need in a house. There are still these the plastics and the type of, of other materials. And again, be it around insulation, for example, bio-based foams or uh, bio-based fibers could be used there, or the plastics uh, that we see there could be made from bio-based materials. So the overall circularity and the overall footprint could be even further reduced uh, beyond what you would get with wooden-based material or wooden-based buildings. So when it comes to plastic management overall, where would you say the biggest opportunity lies currently? One of the biggest challenges is for plastics in the packaging space. And again, for New Zealand, a massive challenge. We're at the end of a long supply chain. We are an exporter of primary produce. So without packaging, or packaging is a critical enabler of our whole economy. And for a transition to a circular economy, a bioeconomy, to do that without sustainable packaging and then advanced sustainable packaging, it's basically impossible. And this is a big focus for us, where we're looking, again, like with plastics, we're looking at both reusable plastics, a reusable packaging, recyclable packaging, or compostable packaging. And it depends on where you export, what type of market you export, what type of product it is, which of these alternatives you use. And the other challenge that we see is while packaging needs to be sustainable, you can't compromise on the performance of packaging. It's so important to keep your produce, especially in New Zealand, we are exporting primary produce. We are you know, exporting kiwi fruit, apples and the like. So it's important to protect that. But it's also important to have it sustainable. You can't just export your sustainably grown fruit in non-sustainable packaging. But the other part is also that packaging has to be much more than just protecting. Suddenly you need to uh, ensure that you can trace your produce. Uh, has to be authentication must be possible. Or that you have your RFID tags where you can, you know, tell stories about the, the history or the, the source of origin of these types of produce. And so you need to embed all these features into packaging, but that embedding these features can't compromise the sustainability. So we are developing, for example, inks or technology that allows to use that on, for example, compostable packaging while still being compostable, despite having the ability to do um, certain electronic features in, in packaging. So what is the potential role, for example, of GIS and other technologies in a biocircular economy, do you think? Um, and I think this is where we started at the beginning about it's not just a bioeconomy as we would have known it in the past. It is really bringing in advanced technologies. And tracking is a critical one. We've seen that now with all the supply chains. So logistics, distribution, as equally important in the circular economy or in the bioeconomy as we have it today. Similar with consumers, they want to know much more about the history of the product. More and more people ask about where does it come from? Has it been manufactured appropriately? And to embed all the data, all that information is absolutely critical. 
the same in terms of um, holding stock is becoming less and less common, so that just in time. But again, very critical to be able to do that, especially when you talk about bio-based products. The other part that we see more and more is that something being certifiable and, and credibly bio-based or reusable or recyclable is actually really important. It's very easy to say something is reusable or something is bio-based or recycled, but how do you ensure that it is actually true? And that's where then that authentication is so important that uh, consumer and brand trust is being protected and ensured. So how do you see policy changing around bioeconomy in New Zealand or Australia, for instance? I think for New Zealand and Australia, it's still something new and something that we're trying to get to know and how to deal with that. What I've seen in Europe, countries there had bioeconomy and circular economy policies probably for over a decade now. So we are just in the process of discussing what should it be or what, what is it or what is it not. But what I can see now emerging in New Zealand and in Australia is the understanding, yes, it's absolutely necessary. The current way forward is a one-way street, but also more the systems approach. Uh, the challenge we have in New Zealand at the moment is bioeconomy or circular economy policy can't be done in the traditional sector or ministry silos. It's a system approach. So it has to be across all these different ministries. We've got multiple activities going on all targeting the type of activities that are necessary for a bioeconomy, circular economies in New Zealand. These are the industry transformation plans. So we've got that for our six or seven sectors. And you probably can see the principles of a circular economy and bioeconomy in all of them. So that's really positive. We've got our Climate Change Commission that speaks to that actually quite powerful. Again, maybe from a single lens around carbon emissions, again, important to keep it wider. Uh, emission reduction plans, the net zero aspirations. As I said, we talked about single-use plastics phasing it out. So a lot of initiatives are happening across different areas. What we haven't done probably well enough yet is this coordinating it across the whole economy to ensure that they are not activities in isolation but really ensuring that this whole dimension and all the dimensions of a circular economy and a bioeconomy are taken care of. When you think future, Florian, what is it that excites you the most? It's probably a number of things. On a professional level, this is one of the big global challenges, but also the big global opportunities. And it's a possibility while New Zealand is small, we can contribute beyond our scale to making a meaningful difference in the world. I think that is exciting. It is great to see that New Zealand has managed to become an associated a member for the Horizon Europe program. Again, with a country like New Zealand with 5 million people, over 99% of all the smart ideas do not necessarily sit in New Zealand. So that exchange and being able to work alongside 28 European countries with 28 European potential research partners is extremely exciting. And I think one of the greatest things as a scientist is always that international collaboration and international partnerships. 
the parts that excite me, that's probably more of the personal thing. I've got two little kids is that all these activities that we're doing here and that we are doing now significantly will impact their future. And I think that's also this fundamental principle of a circular economy or of a bioeconomy is this intergenerational justice or the intergenerational opportunity. And so for me to use the part that I, I work in the innovation space, not sufficient in its own right, but to contribute to that, to a better future is really exciting for me. Well, Florin, we're certainly very fortunate to have people like yourself and Zion Research making such an important contribution towards a regenerative economy for our future generations. Thanks for joining us. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. This podcast was brought to you by VinZero. VinZero helped the AEC and manufacturing industries keep pace with digital change and achieve their technological and sustainability leadership goals. VinZero is a company that cares about creating and building a better world. Together, we are working with industry and environmental experts, providing forums and platforms through our VinZero Think community to create conversations that matter to our future generations. We invite you to join in the conversation and participate in our Think community. Like and subscribe to Think Future to stay up to date with the latest innovations and conversations as we take AEC and manufacturing around the world closer to zero. You can download our podcasts at vinzero.com or from your favourite podcast platform. From Vinzero Think Future, thanks for listening.